Let's get uh, two places. Isaiah 66, please. Isaiah 66. And uh, in your left or right hand, rather, get Mark chapter 9. Isaiah 66 and Mark chapter 9. I am continuing my study today, or this series rather, called Tricky Topics. Most recently, I taught you about church attendance, and we also followed that up with a lesson about how to properly use YouTube when it comes to church services. And uh, if you perhaps missed those lessons, I would encourage you to go back. This is one of those good uses of YouTube. Go, go back and get those lessons that you missed. I do trust that it would be a help to you. This morning, we're going to talk about a very particular tricky topic, and I'm approaching this in a very specific way. We're going to talk about preaching on hell. Preaching on hell. You might scratch your head for a moment and say, why is that a tricky topic for a church to deal with? Because remember, all of these topics are tricky things for a church to deal with. What is the proper approach? For a couple hundred years, it was very normal after the Reformation, a, a, there was a style of preaching that came about, and it was called hellfire damnation preaching because almost day and night, that's all preachers talked about, was hellfire and damnation. And in, in the days of the Great Awakening, this created in the northeast part of America a section called the Burned Over District because for 50, 60 years, that's all they did. Every, seven days a week, there was preaching about hell, fire, and damnation, and people got a bit burned out. Sorry for the pun, but they got burned out. And since that time, it has become increasingly unpopular to preach about hell, fire, and damnation. Even, I mean, at that same time in history, we're talking the late 17, early 1800s, there were some denominations that started to say, hell is not even a real place. There is no fire in hell. Hell is actually just the grave. And then others said, no, no, there is no such thing as eternal fire where people suffer forever. They developed something called the annihilation doctrine, which is to say if, when you are thrown into the lake of fire, you burn up just like a piece of paper and you're over so you don't suffer forever. So there were various ways and methods that people got around this horrible doctrine of, of hell, fire, and damnation. Now, what we want to talk about today is not only the doctrine behind it. I, that might be for another lesson to talk biblically about hell and the lake of fire. Those are not the same things, by the way. Hell and the lake of fire, two separate things. Um, but we're going to focus in just on, in church, is it right to preach about it? When we talk to people uh, evangelistically, when we go out in public and hand out tracts and try to witness to people, is that, a, a, is that a fair topic to bring up? Or should we just tell them about the love of God, the mercy of God? Uh, because it is one of those things where people will condemn other Christians for even mentioning the topic of hell. All right, so let's just get a little foundation here. Isaiah 66 and verse 23. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another shall all flesh come to worship before me saith the Lord this is during what we call the millennium after the seven years of tribulation Jesus has come back the battle of Armageddon has taken place he conquers he is now king of kings lord of lords he sits upon the throne of his father David in Jerusalem and he rules over everything everyone hence king of kings right and then he says, from one new moon to another. That's at the beginning of every month. 
peoples from all over the world will come to Jerusalem, various people groups. And then from one Sabbath to another, weekly, various people come to Jerusalem to worship before the king. But while they do, verse 24, and they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me. For their worm shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be an abhorring unto all flesh. Folks, like it or not, the idea of an everlasting fire where people suffer is a biblical reality. The validity, the truth of this doctrine has nothing to do with whether or not it's nice. There are many parts of life that we would rather not uh, claim as true, right? Sickness, death, children suffering, right? Hunger, starvation, disease. We would rather ignore these things and say, listen, it's not, life isn't that bad. People aren't that bad. The world's not as corrupt as, no, no, it is. It really is. People do suffer. Corruption does happen. People at a young age seemingly unjustly, why is this happening? Those things happen. To deny them would mentally set you in the wrong direction. You wouldn't be ready for life. To just step out into life thinking, no, no, there's no danger. There's no problems like that. There are. There are. So it's a biblical reality. We may not like it, but it's there. Come to Mark chapter 9. Let me show you, show you how Christ quoted from Isaiah. Mark chapter 9 and verse number 42. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. If I can, forgive me, I'm going to jump off the beaten path for a moment and bunny trail. Be very careful the example you're setting for the young people in your lives, especially you moms and dads. Be very careful. Jesus, he warns in many times, many places in his ministry, did he stop and say, be very careful how you're handling these little sheep. Do not lead them astray. It, it will be incredibly bad for you. There are levels to God's wrath. There are levels to eternal punishment. Like I said, that's a talk for another time. But he said, you'd be better off if you were just never born. Oh, it's important. Verse 43, and if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Do you see how Jesus is using Isaiah? Right? Verse 45, And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Verse 47, And if thy eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God. So now, you see how the Bible interprets itself? Jesus said, enter into life, enter into life. What do you mean, enter into life? He's talking about entering into the kingdom. See, those two things go together. Bible interprets Bible. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes, or yes, than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Now, some of you, again, this is a bunny trail, not going to spend long on this, but perhaps your Bible does not have verses 44, 46, and 48 
Or maybe it's missing a couple of those verses. That's a topic for another time in Bible school. We will soon be covering that. It's called manuscript evidence. And yes, many of the new translations take out not just those two or three verses, but 16 verses altogether. And we'll talk more about that in Bible school as to why they do that. And I believe it is a bad mistake. But nonetheless, we can see here Jesus has emphasized the point over and over again. There is a place called hell. And in that place, the fire is never quenched, the worm doesn't die, and people go there. Jesus, if we take his words at face value, believed in in an eternal place of suffering where sinners go. Jesus said in one place, "He he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Baptism always follows the point of salvation, right? He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. What does he mean? Over and over, he makes it clear this is the damnation that the wicked are waiting for. Or rather, turn that around, this damnation is waiting for the wicked. Come to Matthew chapter 13. Some will say, no, 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 that fire is not real fire. It's, you know, it just, it's a way of saying that God is not going to be happy with them, right? It's, it's the burning of his anger within So some will say that you are eternally separated from God. It's like an eternal timeout. You guys know what I mean by that? You know, some parents, they use pox law when they discipline the kids. They give them a a lecker pox law. You do know pox law. Okay, just making sure. Some of you are looking at me like, pox what? Pox law. And and then others, and and please, I think there's an appropriate time to use the timeout method. Uh, but for some, they think God will give somebody an eternal timeout. You go sit over there, and they just sit in the corner of eternity in darkness, just, oh, man. <laughs> and they never get to enter into God's presence. And biblically, see, that, that's how they interpret the fire. The fire is the intensity of God's wrath. He is so angry that they never receive Christ, he puts them on the other side of wherever they are. See, I... Why is it that fire cannot mean fire? So Matthew 13, Jesus gives a parable. Just for the sake of time, it begins in verse 24. The man sowed good seed in the field. The enemy came and put bad seed, and then both the wheat and the tare grow together. Remember that? Verse 30, let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Notice right at the end, just before the last phrase, bind them in bundles to what? Burn them. Now, that's a parable. So people say, you see, that's just a parable. He's not actually going to burn them. That's a parable. It means something else. All right, come on down to verse number 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. Oh, good. We're going to get this explained from the mouth of the one who gave the parable. 37, he answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered 
and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth His angels, and they shall gather out of His kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Jesus, when you said that the tares would be bundled up, thrown into the oven, and burned, did you really mean thrown into the fire and burned? And the answer is yes. It, this, this is one of those biblical doctrines. It's just right there on the surface. Milk of the word. You don't struggle to understand it. It means what it says. The fire equals fire. Simple as that. I was asked one time during the debate, the very first debate that I did with Yusuf Ismail, we were talking which book is from God, the Bible or the Quran. Some of you were there for that, that debate, but back 2016, I think, on the, uh, on the campus here. And one gentleman stood up, a Muslim stood up and asked me a question. He said, you Christians have a verse in your Bible that says to pluck out your eye or cut off your hand so that you can go to heaven. Now, he's not quoting that correctly, but you know where he got that. We just read the passage, Mark 9. He says, so why is it that no Christian ever obeys that verse? If you guys think the Bible is the Word of God, why don't you do that? He's, he's got an interesting question, actually. Why is it that we don't recommend that? My answer kind of startled him for a moment, I think. I said, I believe, I believe in that. I would also recommend that if somebody is hindered by their eye, their hand, their foot, so that it's either my eye or Christ, right? If those were my only two options, I would recommend getting rid of your eye so that you could have Christ and thus enter into the kingdom. So I believe in that. I also believe that that is the most drastic measure there is. But the point that Christ is making is if you must take a drastic measure to avoid the eternal punishment of fiery hell, then do it. Because you're better off suffering for a few years in this life so that you can have eternal life, right? Better to avoid that at any cost. And I believe in that. Now here's the big problem. When people start preaching on this, they say, you know, you're trying to scare people to God. You're trying to scare people to God. God is love. What we should do is tell them how great God is and they should be drawn to God because of His love. I agree with that. I, I, I agree that yes, we should appreciate and draw nigh to God because of His love, His mercy and grace. But that same God is also a God of holiness, righteousness, truth, judgment, and many, many times in the Bible, a God of wrath. You cannot draw nigh to a God of love, the God of love, and not be drawing nigh to the God of righteous judgment and punishment. That's also the same God. I do not think it is correct to base your entire relationship with God just on fear. But I, I also have an issue with hiding the truth from somebody, saying, okay, let me just tell you what I think are the nice parts so that you get to know this, this version of God that I think you'll like. And then you start reading the Bible, you go, wait a minute. I mean, I, I heard about this God of love and He's merciful, but now I'm starting to read the Bible. What is all this stuff? And that's where preachers say, well, that really doesn't mean that. 
If you go to the doctor, this is a very simple illustration, isn't it? You want him to tell you the truth, even if it's bad news. Right? Would you condemn the doctor because he told you the truth about your health and how it was going to affect you if he said, listen, this is the disease you have and this is how many months you have and this is how you're going to suffer if you do not take this medicine or do this treatment or whatever the rehab or therapy is, if you don't fix this, this is how it's going to affect you. You're not going to accuse him of fear-mongering. You're just trying to scare people into taking the medicine. That just makes sense. Hey, man, I'm trying to manifest my love for you by telling you the truth about this awful outcome that you are facing. In the book of Exodus, we read where Moses was sent by God to Pharaoh, and he says, let my people go, right? And Pharaoh says, and who is the Lord? Who's, who's this Jehovah person you're talking about? Who, who's this God? I, Pharaoh, of course, thought he was a God. Who's, who's the Lord? I'm, you know, I'm the big shot around here. What, what, what was Moses' comeback to that? Listen, our God is a God of love and mercy. And Pharaoh, if you don't let the people go, it's perfectly okay. God's going to let you choose your path. No problems. I mean, surely you've read that part of the Bible. That's not how the story goes. Let my people go or else. Plague number one, plague number two, plague number three, and it gets progressively worse. Why, Pharaoh, wake up. This doesn't end well. You're going to end up losing all the firstborn in the nation if you keep pushing it like this. And eventually, of course, Pharaoh himself in the Red Sea is drowned. Yes, there are warnings. And no, it's not nice, but it's true. It's true. Take your Bible. Take your Bible, let's come to Ezekiel chapter 33. I don't know how many of you had this wonderful experience. I, I, I uh, actually signed up to take driving courses here in South Africa. I had to get my South African license. In Malawi, I just went down to the road traffic and showed them my American license, and they said, oh, no problem. Gave me a Malawian license. <laughs> Not yet. Not yeah, no, 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 no. That is an opportunity for South Africa to make a lot of money. And forgive me, am I live? K53 is a joke. <laughs> putting it out there. God, I'm sorry, but that, that needs to be, hmm. you, you got to update that. You got to update that driving program. But in any event, all right, I digress. When I was 15, I went to driving school. I got my license early in America. If you only have one parent at home, you can get your license at 15, right? And if you have both parents at home, then you can get it at 16. So I got my license at 15 because my mom was gone. And uh, I went to driving school as a 15-year-old. And they give you the ABCs of driving, you know, this pedal does that and this pedal does this and don't turn right at this time and all that stuff. And then they gave us a video. I don't know, 20, 30 minutes long of horrible car accidents. Somebody turned at the wrong time. They, they went in the middle of an intersection without minding the stop signs. Uh, thank God in America, we don't have minibus taxis. Oh my goodness. I'd hate to see the videos and, and, the, and the pictures of that. But they showed us all these horrible car accidents, and it was graphic. It was bad. We had to get permission slips to watch it. 
And, and not because of the gore, right? It's, they didn't show the gore. They just showed the cars mangled, and you knew somebody had been horribly uh, hurt or killed in these accidents. You know why they showed that to us? So that we would appreciate and respect how dangerous a car could be. It did not ruin me for, for driving. I, I wanted to learn then how to drive the right way because I could still see the upside of driving. But that's one of those dark realities that you just can't ignore. You can't get out on the road and think nothing bad is ever going to happen to me. No, 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 no. Listen, the roads of South Africa are completely safe. There, there's no road rage here. There's no minibus driver that's going to take. No, that doesn't happen here. Come on. All this stuff about accidents on the road, that's just a parable. <laughs> no, it's not. If you think like that and get out on the road, I, let me know before you go because I don't want to be driving while you're out there. Because you're just going to go willy-nilly all over the place as if there's no danger. There is danger. And it helped us as young people to see, wow, okay, I, I didn't realize it, it could be that bad. That's what we do when we preach about hell. We're, we're alerting people to the reality of how it could end up if you just go through life willy-nilly, not taking Christ seriously, not accepting that offer of eternal life. There might be some bumps and bruises, but at the end, there's a horrible accident waiting for you. And you need to know about it so you can prepare for it. That warning drives you to the arms of a loving God who will save you, justify you, cleanse you of sin, forgive you, sit you in the body of Christ, right? Then you, then you can fully appreciate the mercy and the grace of God. Then the love of God becomes very real because you've balanced it with holiness. You understand? Not too long ago, I was invited to preach at a, uh, a youth meeting somewhere in Gauteng. And I don't know where all the kids came from, but I know there were two or three churches involved if I remember correctly. And uh, there had to have been at least 100 kids there that night, teenagers. And just like always, I pray, God, please show me what to preach. Guys, week in and week out, that's how it goes. I, I, I don't come in with some ulterior motive. I got this sermon. I, I want to, you know, really stick them with this. I, I pray about it. What do they need to hear? And if there are sometimes evangelistically, I'm going to preach about the love of God. Sometimes it's just about the cross. And at other times... God says, hell, fire, and damnation. Now, I, I don't want to deliver that truth, you know, where I'm trying to just smack you across the face, look how bad it is. I'm doing that in a loving way as much as you can, right? Lovingly telling you, watch out for this. At the end, I preached the sermon. This is actually the sermon, my version of the sermon, that helped me and Christina get saved. The first sermon we ever heard in a Bible-believing church was called The Hallways of Hell. And it, it scared us. We'd never heard preaching. Christina didn't grow up around preaching. I grew up in a Catholic church. I never heard about those things. And that pastor walked us up and down the hallways of hell. Now, I preached my version of it, but I took those kids on a tour of hell. I put them in a bus, you know, in a figurative bus. I said, everybody get in the bus. Come on. Let's go through the hallways of hell. And we pulled up to the first, and we all got out, and we looked in the first cell block, and, and I introduced them to Pharaoh. And I said, this is what Pharaoh would say in hell. And then I walked in, and we started, we took a tour of, of the prison, because that's what hell is. It's a prison. 
And after that sermon, I, somewhere between the, uh, the number of 12 and 15 kids came forward and gave their hearts to Christ. Tremendous. It's wonderful. I mean, they, 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 at the end, I tell them how to avoid ever getting back in that bus and going back to hell. The point of that field trip was so that you know how bad it is so you never come back here, right? So those kids said, we're on board. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It is not the whole show, but it's a great place to start. The next day, I got a phone call, angry. The youth leader from one of those churches, how dare you preach to these kids about hell? How dare you? This is not the God we want them to know. And then they went about undoing everything those kids had heard and said, no, 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 your decisions for Christ, that doesn't count. What do we do with that? And that's the reason for this type of a lesson is to say, is it legitimate to use the topic of hell in an evangelistic sense? Just based on what we saw from Jesus, from his own lips, it's a reality. It's not a pleasant one. I don't think Jesus and I don't think we should take any pleasure in preaching about the damnation of the wicked. Right? I take no pleasure in that. Let me show you the verse. Ezekiel 33, verse 11. Ezekiel 33, 11. Say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God has no pleasure in it. That does not mean that the wicked do not suffer when they die. God just says, I don't enjoy that. God, in another place, in the book of Psalms, it says that he, that the, the death of his saints, it's precious in his sight. Because for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is what? Gain. For to me, to depart and to be with Christ is far better. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. You believe that, don't you? We, see, we, we're on board with that. And many Christians, who wouldn't be? But we can't then take that one and say, yep, that's absolute truth, amen to that, and then ignore this side of it. This is not, right? I'm not trying to get us out of balance and say, just go around hellfire and damnation day in and day out. I, I know that's not the only part to God, but we can't ignore it. And we certainly can't condemn an individual or a church because they acknowledge this biblical reality. It's not pleasant. We take no pleasure in saying it. Who, which doctor takes pleasure sitting down somebody and saying, I'm sorry, terminal cancer, you only have weeks to live? Nobody takes pleasure in that. It's the unfortunate reality of, of life. Sometimes you have to be the bearer of bad news. And this is where that old adage, don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> right? Don't blame him because he's telling you how it's actually going to end up. He says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked turn from his way and live. That is what God would take pleasure in. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? So God, if you know the chapter much, God has commissioned Ezekiel as the watchman 
verse 2, if you can see it at the end. And he kind of sets the scene. Ezekiel, you're the watchman. You have a trumpet. When you see the enemy coming, you have to blow the trumpet and warn the people. And if you do not warn them, their death is on your hands. Because you didn't tell them about the danger. I don't want the blood of any soul that comes through this church to be on my hands or your hands. I don't take any pleasure in saying this is how it's going to end up, but I've got to blow the trumpet. I've, I've got to preach exactly how Jesus said that it is. Come to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. More and more as we approach the coming of the Lord, it's become very popular for churches to become seeker-friendly. Have you guys heard that term? Seeker-friendly. You know, they, they try to make the church as comfortable as they can so that worldly people, when they come in the church, will like it and stay and give money. Let's just be honest, that's what, that's what it's about most of the time. I don't, I don't say that about all churches, but many times that is what's going on, and they make it seeker-friendly. Guys, what, what we should be offering, right? I like the idea of sinner-friendly. The fact that you're a sinner doesn't disqualify you from coming to church. You are welcome, regardless of what you've done, to come and hear the gospel so that Christ can give you the new birth, conform you, change you, give you not only a different destination for eternity, but a different way of life now. Right? So yes, in that sense, everybody, we want them to feel welcome. But we're not going to lower the standards of the church and leave out certain biblical doctrines so that you like our church. We cannot put an air condition in the pig pen. If the prodigal son is living in the pig pen, do not go stooping down to the level of the pig pen and put an air conditioning in it so that he's comfortable in the pig pen. Call a spade a spade. Say, listen, it's bad, it's dark, you're in a wrong place, you need to repent. Turn ye, turn ye. There is a place for that. Somebody once said, this is a few years back, one of our members was chatting with somebody and they said, oh, you guys, you go to that turn or burn church. Dry of Bry. Am I saying it correctly? Dry of Bry. They meant it as an insult. Right? Our member took it as an insult. And that person came to me and said, Oh, Pastor, I'll let you ding say, Dry of Bry Kerk. I said, I mean, she was very upset. And uh, I, I said, you know that's in the Bible, right? It is? Yeah. It, that, you guys know that, right? Drive, but I, that's in the Bible. That's a biblical phrase. Now, not, not quite that, that loose, but Luke chapter 13, Jesus says it like this, repent or perish. Dry off bry. I mean, <laughs> So I'm glad that we, this is simply society acknowledging that we're preaching the Bible. <laughs> so thank you for the compliment. <laughs> that's, see, that, that's not a bad thing. 
But come on, guys, be honest now. You, you, you've come, most of you sitting here this morning, we have a visitor or two, but most of you, you've been around enough. You don't hear me giving you hell, fire, and damnation every Sunday. We talk plenty about the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, and how compassionate and long-suffering and how good He is and gentle, right? Gentle with us, how much He loves us. We, yeah, I mean, if you count up the sermons, come on, man, come on. Don't give me this business about, oh, you talk about sin and hell. That's all you heard. Maybe you ought to show up for the other 18 sermons that happen in the month instead of the one you came for and you'll hear the whole story. <laughs> I'm getting worked up. I'm sorry. Okay, okay. I got to back off. I got to back off. Be nice. Be nice. Matthew 25, 41. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand. Matthew 25, 41. Depart from me, ye cursed. Okay, now just real quick. Who is saying these words this is jesus right and it is he's, he's talking about what will happen at a future judgment we call it the judgment of the nations so he's saying there the king will sit on the throne and say depart from me who is the king the same jesus depart from me ye cursed into everlasting fire now watch this last part prepared for the devil and his angels. So watch this. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. If you go to hell, if you go to this everlasting fire, you're a misfit. It wasn't meant for you. God did not make that place for human beings. The Bible tells us, and we're going to talk about this in the sermon this morning a little bit more, the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. All. He doesn't want anybody to end up here. This hell was not meant for human beings. It was meant for the devil and his angels. So God takes, it's not as if Jesus is enjoying this part of the story. Again, it's just a, it's part of reality. You need to know that if you're on the wrong side of eternity, this is what you have to look forward to. Better to know it. When Noah stepped out and began preaching, what was he preaching? He was preaching, listen, two sides to this. Here's an ark. Here is a way to be saved. Get in the ark. But you also read in 2 Peter, book of Hebrews, he condemned the world. He was a preacher of righteousness. He would say, you guys need to stop what you're doing, repent, turn to God. That was all part of his message. There is a way to escape this coming judgment. Did Noah warn the world about a flood that was coming? Yes, the Bible tells us that he did. Wouldn't that have been a cruel joke for Noah to say, you know, God has shown me, he's told me, he's revealed to me what's coming in 120 years. But I don't think anybody's going to be attracted to that kind of a God. So I'm just going to tell them that God loves them. I'll tell them about the mercy and grace of God. Look at the ark. What's the ark for? Oh, just nice place to hang out. You know, lekker keir, daar in the ark. <laughs> That, that, that's not the whole story. But is that not what Christians, I, I say this, you know, Christendom, is that not how it's portrayed these days? Pretending as if that other part of it's not there. Hellfire and damnation is not the whole show. So I'm not going to hang out on that point all the time in every sermon, but we can't ignore it. It's a, it you know why it's a tricky topic? is because if it's true, 
if it's true, then you might have friends or loved ones that are on their way to that place. If it's true, it demands that you do something about it. If it's true. And therefore, it's much easier, even as Christians, to just ignore it. If it's true, listen, my mother died a few years ago. She died an atheist. If that doctrine, if this doctrine of, of a biblical, the biblical version of hell, if it's true, my mom is there today. I take no pleasure in that. I do not dwell on that thought, right? I'm not a morbid person. I do not dwell on it, but I acknowledge that it's real. So here's what it makes me do. I will never get a chance to reach my mom. The, the, the days, let's say the opportunity for her redemption has passed. Psalm 49 says it ceased forever. My dad, as a Catholic, still prays that God brings her soul out of purgatory. Biblically, there is no such hope. Her chance has gone, but yours hasn't. I'll never reach my mom, but maybe I can reach yours. I have seen, actually, the one, maybe the oldest person I ever led to Christ. I had been saved about two months, and I went out door knocking all by myself. I just went out knocking on houses, and I came upon a little small mobile home lady in her upper 80s. I think she was 88 or 89. She invited me in, and we had a nice about two-hour chat at the end of it. Here I am, 20 years old. All I knew was the gospel. I didn't know anything else about the Bible. I said, man, this is how I got saved. And she said, that is amazing. Can I get saved? I said, yes, ma'am. She bowed her head right there in her living room. She lived all by herself, and she gave her heart to Christ. I followed up with her, you know, a phone call or two, and invited her to church, and she was planning on coming. Wouldn't you know it? A couple weeks later, she went down Walmart. It's like a, a game, you know, a big factory, a store like that. She walked in, stopped off at the restroom, passed away and went to heaven I'll never reach my mom but I reach somebody's somebody's mom got saved you know I, I hope to get to go back soon but for a while I, I was going to Dundee you guys know the not Australia version but the South African version I go to Dundee several times in the year and they would bring the old folks they would bust them into the meeting every night Monday to Thursday about 15, 20 of them would come to the service. So, I mean, there was purple hair everywhere. <laughs> really, the, f the first three rows was just purple hair, the whole thing. And, and we, the, the gentleman who organized the meetings, his mom, I think, was 85 or 6. She'd been, to, she'd been a faithful church member her whole life, but she had never understood what salvation was. She got saved. And then another 80-something-year-old got saved. And then another 80-something-year-old got saved. And, and we had several of those older folks, those omens that they're giving their hearts to Christ. I called Umyan back just a, a couple months ago. So how are things going? He said, Pastor, all those people that were getting saved, they're all in heaven now. In the time of COVID, they just, it wasn't because of COVID. It was just their time, and they just started passing away. So I can't reach my mom, but I can reach somebody's. I can read somebody's. If you believe in this doctrine, we love, don't, don't people love prophecy, right? 
Whenever, I, every time that I announce we're going to have a lesson or a series of lessons about prophecy, biblical prophecy, we're going to talk about the mark of the beast, we'll double. <laughs> the, I mean, people will turn up, ooh, what's he got to say? What's the next big thing? Isn't the lake of fire, isn't that part of prophecy? I mean, it is. It's not a nice part. Neither is the mark of the beast. <laughs> but there it is. We simply can't avoid it. It's tricky only because people are overly sensitive about how others will react to such a devastating doctrine. Guys, let the truth do its work. How could a loving God punish somebody like that? How could a loving God put somebody in an eternal punishment like that? You know why we struggle as human beings to wrap our heads around an eternal punishment like that? Because we have no idea how it feels to be as holy as God is. You have no idea how bad sin is, but God does. And that's why he is able to assign such a big punishment to it. And one day we will understand why such a horrible end is necessary. Until that time, I'm going to take it by faith that Jesus was right. And that fire is real. Let's do everything we can to warn people so they don't end up there, but end up in the arms of a loving God. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Father, we, we do not like this truth, but it is truth, and we appreciate that you told us about it. Help us, Lord, as we tell other people about this, that we do so out of compassion and concern for their souls. And Father, might I also just say thank you. You saved us in so many ways. You, you saved us from a, a sinful and a wasted life. You've saved marriages, health, job. You've saved us in so many ways, but you saved us from that eternal place of torment because you sent your Son. Help us, Lord, never to lose sight of that wonderful gift you gave us. Lord, I pray that you'd allow us to enjoy some fellowship that blessed the service to come. Thank you for this opportunity already this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys enjoy a few minutes of fellowship.